It's time for the Off the Mound with Ryan Dempster podcast presented by Sloan. I'm your host, Ryan Dempster, and today I'm joined by the Hawk himself. Yeah, the man. This guy, absolute stud, former Cub, Andre Dawson. But first, I've got to tell you about Sloan's no-touch hand-washing technology. It's state-of-the-art, folks, second to none, and couldn't come at a better time. So we want to thank them for providing that technology to the people out there so we can wash our hands and stay safe. Well, he's the godfather. I don't know if there's anybody as respected as this man right here. Maybe it's because Eric Chow hit him in the face and he popped up and went looking for him. But he did great things on the north side of Chicago. Won 1987 NL MVP. He's a stud. 21 years in the show. Let's get down to it and go off the mound with Andre Dawson. Hawk, how are you? Dimp, I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. I'm uh, here in South Florida at home and just, you know, taking it easy, kind of look, waiting, looking forward to uh, getting back into the gym, something I haven't done in almost a year now. But, uh, you know, because of circumstances and now that I've been vaccinated, I feel a little bit more comfortable. So all in all, I, I, I held up pretty well and I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. That's awesome. And that must be tough because I know you, when I was around you down in Florida with the Marlins, every day you're in the gym and to not go to the gym for almost a year, I mean, that's had to, that's had to be tough for you. Well, you know, uh, that was probably the athletic side of me is something that you, you just can't let go. And uh, it was tough. Uh, however, I did have a bike here, a stationary bike that I would ride at home. I did a lot of push-ups and sit-ups, but I uh, didn't prevent the, 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 the COVID, however much I put on, uh, from uh, being a challenge. <laughs> so I, I, I do, uh, in a sense, say that, you know, that, that's something that I, I dearly look forward to, and I'm excited about getting back to uh, doing some of the things in the gym that I normally do. I, I'll never forget that there was, we were working out in the weight room one day, and you said to me, you said, I'm going to ride the bike every day for my, however many years I am old is how many minutes I'm going to ride on the bike that day. Are you still doing that? <laughs> I had three knee replacements and I probably push it a little bit too much at times. So what I, I, I had kind of built up to was an hour, 45 minutes of cardio. And uh, like I said, I probably was pushing it a little bit too much because I can feel the stiffness and the soreness as a result. But uh, I'm going to slowly get back into it, uh, do the hour that I normally do and ice the joint down afterwards. But I, uh, I was avid into the weights themselves, uh, something that I dearly missed. But again, that's just kind of the ath athlete side of me uh, that can't really let it go. And it's, it's something that I enjoy doing. And you know, it just makes for uh, a good day for me moving forward and uh, the other challenges and tasks that I have to do. And, and that was something throughout your whole career that you were incredible at maintaining your physical condition, even battling through all the knee stuff you did. Like, and, and I don't know if this is true, and I don't know if he was fabricating the story, but Larry Starr, who was my trainer in Florida, who was your trainer when you were with the Marlins at the end of your career, he said Hawk would come in every day to the training room. He'd never complain, and he'd pre-wrap each knee 
before batting practice, and then you take it off, and then he pre-wrap it again before the game. He's like, I go through more rolls of pre-wrap on those knees than anybody else on the team the whole year. How did you how did you go through that? I mean, that's like to be able to do that and never even grimace or show anything. I mean, it's understandable why guys were afraid of you in the league. Well, it got to be pretty expensive when you look at all of the, the medical tape that they had to uh, purchase just for me alone. And uh, I, I didn't ever want to go out on the field with a knee brace. I felt that not only was it a distraction, but it just, uh, you know, it would complicate trying to get through what you needed to in the game itself. So I would um, take the course of wrapping the knees and uh, going that route and allowing that to give me the support that I needed throughout, throughout the, the game itself. And yes, I had my routine where, you know, I'd go in whirlpool, I'd ice before I got uh, taped and I'd put what we grew to know as cremogesic, the warm stuff, the bomb on, on my knee. I, I went a little bit further. I used capsuling and that's something that, uh, you know, it'll, it'll burn a hole in you if you don't know what you're doing. But I would, uh, I would rub that on, then I would tape. I'd go out, uh, my pregame activities, come back off the field, cool the knees off again, then go through that same scenario uh, just to play the game itself. So that got to be pretty commonplace and routine for me, but that's what it took to, to, you know, to get me through the event of the day. I hope that every young guy out there is listening to this because, Hawk, they don't play unless they're 100% now. So the fact that you're doing that, they all need to take a little lesson from the man himself, Andre Dawson, because that to me is just like sums up you always. You you always just no matter how much pain you're in, you're out there playing. And I, and I think, you know, having that ability to do that really got the respect of your peers in such a big way because you were like the Don, like you were the guy, dude, like. I remember we tried to get Barry Bonds to sign some stuff, and we said he said no. And you walked over there and said, "Hey, Barry, I need you to sign for these guys." And he said, "Whatever you need, Hawk." It was some something similar to that nature. Barry uh, didn't want to sign on the sweet spot, and uh, you know I knew Barry from when he first came into the league, and he he signed the balls on the label, and I sent them back over, and he <laughs> wouldn't sign. Them. And I just told the clubhouse guy, "Well, you tell him the Hawk said he know where he can stick him." <laughs> and uh, when we went out on when we went out on the on the field itself to take batting practice, Barry approached me. He gave me a big hug. He said, "Hawk, listen, I'm sorry. You know, uh, I just didn't know exactly why the guy were wanting the, the baseball's autographed." And I said, "Listen, don't ever look down on your peers. Okay, uh, these are your contemporaries, the guys that you go out there and go to war with, and these guys respect you." And uh, sure enough, he signed more than a dozen. He signed a couple dozen and sent them over. And uh, that went through the clubhouse fairly quickly. But no, I, you know, I, I, when I, when I, you know, talk to the kids about uh, what uh, the ordeals I had to endure and, you know, uh, the stakes uh, that I was up against, it was just the fact that I, I knew the, the, the situation was something uh, that, you know, I just had to look at, hey, the damage was already done. Now, how are you going to react to it? And that is by putting your best foot forward. And you're only going to get out of uh, what you put into when you go out there every day. And I just wanted to make my work ethic impeccable to the degree that I was satisfied 
with, you know, where I was and I wasn't going to use uh, the knee issues as an excuse. Um, not just the knee issues, like here we are, we're in February, we're celebrating Black History Month. Um, black baseball players in the game, we try to recognize some great ones and you're one of the greatest. What was your experience like from coming up um, and just kind of throughout the course, course of your career as far as being a black ball player? I had a terrific time. I had the ability to be around uh, accomplished players, uh, Al Oliver, uh, Pete Rose, um, just you know, to name a, uh, name a couple, uh, Dave Cash, who would take me under their wings and uh, educate you uh, about uh, players before them, and just sit down and talk to you, lecture you about uh, your purpose, uh, why you were there, what was expected, what you had to do. You wanted to play the game as as hard as you could, go out, don't, don't disrespect the uniform. And keep your mouth closed. Uh, if you talk too too much, then you might be labeled as a as a problem, and you didn't want that. So I just you know tried to learn from the guys who I enjoyed watching play the game and who I had admired uh, coming up. And uh, for me, uh, it just you know allowed me to grow into veteran status in a sense, and be able to pass that along to the players who. Uh, had aspired and looked up to me. And I just, you know, had to marvel at the fact that growing up, for me, my childhood heroes uh, were Hank Aaron, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays. And uh, I got to meet each and every individuals. And I uh, just wanted to uh, pick their brains a little bit and learn a little bit of how they accumulated the success that they did. And it was just, uh, it was an education in a sense and uh, just uh, an opportunity to pursue a, a lifelong dream. And I just tried to make the most of it. I persevered to the point where I was able to play for 20 plus years. And I look back at that and I just, you know, if I had to do it all over, I'd do it the same, same way. And, and, uh, and to a moment in your career where um, you get the opportunity to be a free agent. And we all know, um, at least within the game, but for the people who don't know, there was a massive amount of collusion going on and teams not wanting to sign players, team wanting to give players play cuts after great years. Um, you probably, outside of Kurt Flood, which we'll get into later, made one of the biggest decisions ever, um, wanting to get off the turf in Montreal, your knees, it was hard on your knees, going to Chicago and saying, here's a blank contract, you fill it in and I'll play for that. Take us through how, how did you come to that decision to do that and, and why the Cubs? Why Chicago? Why did you want to go there? Well, it was, you know, the time and the era of, of collusion and being a free agent uh, for the very first time, I uh, was challenged with what's going to happen uh, now that you're a free agent. Uh, we sat down with Expos management who had not really uh, put me on the trading block, but mentioned me in trade rumors prior to my gaining 10 and five status. And, uh, and, and not knowing, you know, if I was gonna be re-signed, or if I was gonna test the market, I, I, like I said, I had the, the liberty to sit down with them right at the end of the season. And uh, it just didn't, didn't go over real well. I uh, didn't get a good feeling or sense of going into 
the offseason that I would be returning as an expo. Uh, they made me uh, an offer that was for a $200,000 cut in pay. And uh, I just felt that uh, as a player having leverage for the first time and being a free agent, then, you know, maybe we should really be talking about fair, fair market value. And it went into the offseason. Um, I met with John McHale, the president of the ball club in West Palm Beach, and uh, he said their offer still stood. And uh, had I given it any serious thought, and I, I at that point said, Mr. McHale, I just want to say thank you for the last 10 years, but I can't honestly look myself in the mirror and uh, accept that. To me, it's, it's, it's literally a slap in the face. I said, being one of the players that have come through your minor league system and uh, the time and effort I put in the last 10 years, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't bode well with me. And I uh, asked my agent, I said, well, we got to find a creative way for me to get with another organization, knowing that uh, teams weren't going to negotiate with you. I said, worst case scenario, I probably uh, can go and play in Japan. I did hear rumors that, you know, that was a possibility and what the uh, monetary situation would be. And when I mentioned it to my wife, she said, the Japan. I said, yes. She said, well, I'll see you when you get back. And uh, so I knew that was out the window. So we, uh, uh, we met out at uh, his home in California, uh, and we, we devised a plan to go to Arizona and meet with Dallas Green, who was a GM at the time, and just give Dallas a blank contract, not go out and negotiate, but give him a blank contract to mull over and let his legal people look it over. And in a sense, just pay me what you think I'm worth. And he... He went the route that, you know, he had young ball players he needed to give the opportunity to play and uh, to give a serious look. And I said, that's uh, well and understood, but you still had the nucleus intact of the team that won it three years prior, and I feel that I can help this ball club. And he said, I'll, uh, I'll let my people look it over and I'll give you a call. And I said, well, I'm leaving it on the table for 24 hours and I'm going to West Palm Beach. Actually, that's where the Expos was, and I was going to, do the same thing with the Atlanta Braves, not going to visit the Expos per se. And yeah. uh, the next day I got a phone call from Mr. Green and he said, uh, he said, uh, son, he said, I understand, you know, uh, where, you know, you are with this. You said you were only going to leave it on the table for 24 hours. The best offer that we can make you is $500,000, which in essence was, $500,000 less than what Montreal was offering. And without hesitancy, I said, uh, thank you very, very much. I said, I'll accept your proposal. And he got quiet. Yeah. I didn't hear anything for about 20 <laughs> seconds. I, I actually thought that I lost the call. And he's like, he said, okay. He, he said, uh, can I call you back in about an hour? And I knew what that was about because he really uh, made an offer for me to refuse. He wasn't supposed to negotiate with me. He did call me back and he said, welcome aboard. We're glad to have you. I know that you was just out here. Take your time. I said, no, I can be back out tomorrow, which is what I did. I boarded a flight and went out and I met the team in spring training. Wow. And then the rest turns into uh, history, really, an incredible season after that. Well, uh, years before you, uh, Kurt Flood made a stand. Uh, and, and took care of all of us baseball players who ever had a chance for free agency.
he made the initial stand to just say enough is enough and we as players deserve to be free agents. Um, pan ahead years and years later, you're presented with the first ever Kurt Flood Award. Um, you spoke about this and talked about how it, you put it right there with any award you've ever won in your life. What did it mean to you and, and, and why do you say something like that? Well, for Kurt to um, have the award named after him, I think, you know, awards uh, named and known primarily uh, after uh, iconic figures in the game. And that's, you know, what he was to me because of the stance that he took, sacrificing his career and uh, obviously changing uh, the course of the game itself uh, when it came to players and their rights. And for me to be the first uh, recipient, uh, I was indeed honored because I, uh, I really never looked at it from a standpoint that uh, I made a huge impact on the game as a result of what happened during the collusion process. But um, Kurt believed in what he believed in and, um, you know, it took a lot of uh, determination and sacrifice to do that. And I guess in a sense, I uh, had a, a similar uh, sort of approach. I, I believed in my ability going forward and I just didn't want to be questioned about that. Uh, I just wanted to be where I wanted to be and, and knowing that uh, if I was going to have to change uniforms or go to a place uh, unfamiliar, that I had to uh, accept that and move forward. And uh, that's kind of, you know, what my thinking was. Uh, not really dwelling too much upon the fact that, oh, this is going to change uh, direction of the game going forward. But it was just a deep honor for me to be the very first recipient of that award solely because of uh, him being uh, an iconic figure uh, when it came to changing the evolution of uh, free agency and um, uh, that sort of ordeal that would you know, later impact all of sports. And, and, you know, you talk about the impact. Uh, you kind of played in an era, uh, you know, the late 70s into the early 90s, where the amount of black ball players was probably at its highest. Um, and now it, the number's dwindling and, it's, and, and it needs to change. And there's a lot of people out there doing um, great things. You're doing great things for that. The Andre Dawson Classic, um, the baseball tournament that you host, um, can you talk about, you know, what that entails, how you came up with the idea for that and, you know, how people can get involved with that? Well, it wasn't my idea. Uh, I'm thankful again for Major League Baseball for reaching out to me. It was the Urban um, Invitational uh, initially. And uh, then after eight years, it became the um, uh, Andre Dawson Classic. There are only uh, two H. BCU graduates who uh, have gone on and played and made it to the Hall of Fame, the other being Lou Brock. But they reached out to me with the idea of changing uh, the invitation to the Andre Dawson Classic. And uh, again, I was deeply honored. And uh, it uh, gives uh, historically black colleges and universities uh, the opportunity and exposure uh, to uh, take their programs uh, to that viable level. And uh, these kids, a lot of them are the products of baseball initiatives. And uh, I 
marvel at the fact that, you know, uh, what I've seen over the last three years and uh, the accomplishments of a lot of these players who have gone on and gotten the opportunity to uh, continue to play at that level. And uh, this Invitational is, uh, is going on as, uh, on course as scheduled this year. It starts uh, this, this weekend, the 19th through the 21st. There will be uh, six, six HBCU schools along with uh, the University of Illinois. Uh, I'm sorry, the University of New Orleans participating uh, in the tournament. And uh, with the blessings of Major League Baseball this year, there was consideration given to uh, probably uh, not holding the tournament because of uh, the situation with the pandemic. But a lot of the coaches expressed the importance and uh, necessary uh, reasons why they felt that we should go ahead and uh, have the tournament itself, uh, what importance it had to their, their programs. And uh, through a lot of careful uh, planning, Major League Baseball uh, went ahead. We got the blessings of the commissioner to go ahead uh, and proceed, uh, considering uh, also the options uh, with the CDC as far as guidelines and protocols were concerned uh, to go ahead and uh, put the tournament uh, on display, as like I said, which is going to happen this weekend. And uh, I've been associated with it again for three years, and I look at it, uh, that's, you know, it's a, it's an opportunity for these kids to uh, get the exposure and uh, hopefully some of them uh, be looked at uh, when it comes time for draft. That's such awesome stuff. And uh, I couldn't think of a better guy to have that tournament named after. That's, uh, that's special stuff right there. It's been an absolute treat to just have you on, uh, talk baseball and, and a little bit of your career. And, uh, and so great to see you. Thanks so much for, for joining us on Off the Mound. Hey, any time, Dimp, you need me, just give me a holler. You know, I appreciate the, the time that we spent down in Florida together. I get the opportunity to run into you on occasions here now that I'm, you know, uh, back with the Cubs. And uh, just reach out at any time. Stay safe. Hey, that was so great to catch up with Andre, Andre Dawson. He absolutely is one of my favorite people. Such a nice gentleman. Um, so well-respected. Played the game with tenacity and with bum knees his entire career and never complained once about it. Um, the guy was an absolute pro and has treated me um, like a little brother slash son at times. He's just phenomenal. So, To hear more conversations like the one you just heard, please download and subscribe to the Off The Mount with Ryan Dempster podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And it's all presented by our good friends at Sloan. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.